God for what he's doing through the word. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you and we approach the word humbly and with respect. We understand that your word is the way you have revealed yourself to us, the primary way. And so, Lord, we look at your word to learn of you, to hear your voice, to know your will, and to see your plans and purposes, and to also see who we are, for the word is a mirror to us, to see who we are and what we have and what we can do in Christ and through Christ. And so we ask you, Lord, this morning, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, May the eyes of our understanding be enlightened that we may know what is the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power to usward who believe. The same power that you worked in Jesus when you raised him from the dead and set him at your own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and made him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, and Lord, that's us, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5 this morning to begin. Galatians chapter 5, I want to look at one verse. To begin with, Galatians 5 and verse 25. Galatians 5 and 25. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, maybe a better way to say it would be the Holy Spirit through Paul, says this to us. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Notice two things. Number one, Spiritual life, being born again, being right with God, being a Christian. All those terms are good. If we live in the Spirit, let us also, that's in addition to being alive spiritually, is that we would walk in the Spirit. And the word walk there comes from a word that's used to mean walk as in a march, like a military March. It doesn't mean meandering anywhere you want, going at any pace you want, but it has to do with keeping up and going in the same direction that the Spirit of God is going. Spiritual life is a matter of faith and acceptance. It's offered to us freely by grace based on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and His redemptive work his death, burial, and His resurrection and ascension that seals this blessed privilege of being spiritually made alive to us to be received freely just as a matter of faith and acceptance. However, walking in the Spirit is a matter of action and obedience. A lot of people have been born again, but they don't do much walking in the Spirit. A lot of people have been saved. They know Jesus as a Savior, but they don't know much about the walk of the Spirit. And that's why we've taken weeks and weeks, actually months, talking about Pentecost, is because if you take out 
the supernatural that the Holy Spirit brings, then you don't have anything much worth doing. You just have another social organization, maybe a relief organization. You might have a number of different things that you might call the church, but you wouldn't call it supernatural if you take out the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Christianity is a supernatural experience whereby the spiritual dimension, and that's where God is, that's where the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is, that's where angels are, that spiritual dimension, Christianity is, is a supernatural experience that taps into that dimension where the persons of the Godhead, the angels, all of those things, the power of God, the miraculous and supernatural power of God, and the nature of that realm affects our lives here on the earth. In other words, it's a breakthrough from God to the earth. Every time someone is born again, every time somebody comes to know Jesus, it's heaven breaking through into the earth. And so this affects our lives here. And the first century church, maybe I should say it this way, the first century church congregations, we can read about them in this book of Galatians, for instance, to the church in Corinth, Ephesus, Antioch, uh, Jerusalem, various places there were New Testament churches in the first century. Those congregations expected and enjoyed this kind of an ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit among them. They expected, they, they believed for, they accepted, and they received the gifts of the Spirit and the ministries of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, just turn a page or two back in your Bible from Galatians 5 to Galatians 3 and look at verse number 5. And here we read these words, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And I, there, there are a number of things I guess you could say from this verse, but the thing I want you to see is that in this place called Galatia, which is in what is now modern-day Turkey, in Galatia, they were talking about working miracles. We see these manifestations of supernatural gifts that we have looked at last time. We looked at four different lists 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. We're not going to take the time to go back and reread all of those. But you will find there a comprehensive listing of gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. And so many of those ministries depend upon manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit in order that they would function in their fullness. And what we found out and what we tried to leave you with last week is the fact that we all, everybody say all, say that means me, we all fit in here somewhere. In these lists, we fit somewhere. And we can interact with the Holy Spirit on a personal level, and we need to. And we also interact with the Holy Spirit on a corporate level. And we also need to do that. The writer in Hebrews admonishes us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more, he said, as you see the day approaching. It's so important that as we get even closer and closer to the coming of Jesus, that we actually are more connected to the church, not less connected. 
I believe with all of my heart that part of what has went on in the last two and a half years in our world is a deliberate attempt by the devil to try to keep people from assembling, to miss out on the connections and to miss out on the supernatural relationships and to miss out especially on the supernatural manifestations and ministries of the Holy Spirit that can only occur in their fullness whenever the body of Christ comes together. And it is important where we go to church. It's important who we're connected with. It's important what we're listening to week after week after week after week. Some dear people, I'm sure they mean well, but they seem to think that they can get spirit-filled in a Pentecostal meeting somewhere and then go back to a non-Pentecostal church and be in non-Pentecostal services and that they're going to have the same results as if they had stayed close to the spout where the glory was coming out. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Amen. If you want some really fresh, hot bakery goods, you got to go to a bakery. If you want chicken feed, you got to go to a feed store. Amen? And so if you want Holy Ghost manifestations, if you want Holy Ghost power, if you want to hear what the Spirit of God is saying afresh to the church right now, you've got to go somewhere where the Holy Ghost is moving. You've got to go somewhere where the Holy Ghost is being poured out and people are open and receptive to the things of the Spirit. And I know that I am beating that drum over and over again, but I'm going to keep on beating that drum again and again because after 42 years of full-time ministry, one of the things I've found is that you don't get results just because you wish for it and you don't get results just because you need it. If God moved on need alone, then there would be no needs unmet. But God moves in response to faith and obedience. God moves in response to faith and action. Your expectation producing in you corresponding actions, your faith in what God has promised, will bring to you the blessings of God in the supernatural realm. And as we line up with the Word of God, then we are going to find ourselves, if we truly do it, we're going to find ourselves in the presence where the Holy Spirit is moving. And we're going to have to learn, if we don't know already, and I think all of us are continuing to learn, no matter how much we think we already know, I know I'm still learning, how to walk in the Spirit and how to fulfill our part and to fulfill our place, our ministry, our service in the body of Christ. And I don't just mean volunteering at church, even though that's important. And there's a blessing there. As you get involved with God's business, I can tell you that's one of the ways God gets involved with yours. Amen. If you you want the greatest blessing of God on your life, don't be a spectator only. Be a participant. But serving is not just in the church on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever there's a service. But serving God also involves what we do outside this place. It involves our interactions every day with the people we work with, the people we live with, our neighbors, the people that we see in various places... All of that produces and brings to us opportunities to serve the Lord. And so we need to understand how to do this. How do we walk in the Spirit? What do we need to know and what do we need to do, both individually and as a church corporately? What do we need to do to have Spirit-filled, Pentecostal, uh, a Pentecostal Spirit-filled atmosphere in order to worship and to serve and to live in? And I was seeking the Lord about this because I knew that we were coming to the end. Today may be the end 
I've learned not to make promises about these things, but, but today may even be the end of this series. And I, I was seeking the Lord, how do we tie up all these loose ends? We've, we've talked about a lot of different things along the way. And how do we, how do we kind of tie this up and come to a worthy conclusion? I didn't think of that term, but I like it. How do we come to that kind of a conclusion? And the Lord took me to a passage of Scripture that at the first it was kind of odd to me because I didn't at first see how, how, is, this, how, how is this Lord, you know, what, what's going to fit. I didn't say those exact words, but that's kind of where my mind was going. And I found as I began to study and meditate that He did want me here and He wanted me to share a few things with you this morning about this walking and marching, if you will, and lockstep with the Holy Spirit living the Pentecostal lifestyle, living the Spirit-filled, blessed lifestyle. And to do that, I want to take you to the book of Luke, please, this morning, the 16th chapter. If you'll turn there with me in your Bible, Luke chapter 16. And I want to read verses 10, 11, and 12. Just three verses. But they are so full of wonderful information. And, of course, these words are in red in your Bible, probably. And, uh, I mean, if you've got a red-letter edition, they are. And um, Jesus is teaching, and, of course, everybody has their own opinions, so, you know, you just take it for what it's worth. This is just my opinion. But I personally believe that in these three verses are three of the most important keys to a successful, spirit-filled life. Now, I know that's a big statement. And there are lots of important keys in the Bible, lots of great scriptures. And usually with preachers, whatever they're teaching about, that's the thing they're most excited about at the moment. But I look back on my Christian experience, and I was saved when I was 10 years old. And I look back on that. This past month will make 55 years walking with the Lord. And I, I realize, or 54 is it, whatever, anyway. When it gets that many years, what does a year difference make? But I realize these three things are things I've had to learn. I didn't come to learning them always easily. I wasn't taught these as principles in the early days of my Christianity. But I did see some of, some of these things lived out in front of me. And I appreciate and I have great appreciation for those who mentored me and who taught me and people whose lives mean something to me all these decades later, even though some of them have now for decades been in heaven. And they didn't know when this little kid was there in church around them. They didn't know the mark they were making on me. They didn't know what all I was watching. And... They didn't know what I was seeing, just like we don't know all that these little kids around us today are seeing. That's why it's so important that we worship with great abandon of our pride and our personal thoughts about the issue and just give way to the Word and to the Holy Ghost and teach our children and teach our grandchildren that there is joy in serving God, there is power in the Holy Ghost, and that if we will learn the principles of the Word and live by them, not just in church, but out of church, on Friday, on Tuesday morning, or whenever it may be, that it will make an eternal difference in the lives of people. 
And so I, I came to, to these principles, and I began then as an adult and as a minister, I began to realize how important they were, and they are. And I'm sure I don't realize all the importance of them yet. I'm sure I don't know all there is to know about these yet. But these are three things that I can honestly say I am so grateful that I've learned about because they have really changed my life, and they'll change yours. Jesus said in John, uh, Luke, or rather, chapter 16 and verse number 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Verse 11, If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or wealth or money, and he uses the term unrighteous so I think we will understand he's talking about pure old money. You can't spiritualize away the fact he's talking about money. For us, that'd be dollars or Bitcoin or <laughs> Ethereum or whatever. If you've not been faithful in the unrighteous money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Notice the contrast between worldly wealth and spiritual riches. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, this might be sometimes the hardest of all, if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, that which belongs to somebody else, we might say. If we've not been faithful to help bring somebody else's vision to pass, not our own, but somebody else's. If we've not been faithful in helping make somebody else look good, not ourselves, but somebody else. Who shall give you that which is your own? Remember we said salvation is free, but, but walking in the Spirit will require action and obedience. These are three action points. These are three obedience areas. That if you and I don't master, submit to, and learn to walk in these, we will never, and that's a big statement to make, never is a big word, and I know what I'm saying, and I know it's true, we'll never be the spiritual person that God knows we can be. And the problem with being truly born again and not walking in the Spirit is there will always be somewhere inside this nagging thing because we know we're not really living up to what we're supposed to be living up to. And not only will that be there nagging you, but there'll also be, a, to some degree, a degree of disappointment in that we know we're living below the privileges that God bought and paid for that we could have. We'll know that we just aren't really, as we might say, uh, hitting on all cylinders. Amen. Faithfulness is the uh, common thread in all three verses. He that is faithful in that which is least. He is if you've not been faithful in money, if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, what does that word mean there? Well, it means to be trustworthy. 
So let's ask ourselves this question right off the bat. Does, can God really trust me? Can He give me an assignment and I'll finish it? You know, a lot of people start a lot of stuff. And I've been guilty myself. Finishing is another matter. Sometimes we start with such zeal and anticipation and we're so happy and we just get going and, and then it just somehow things begin to fall to the wayside. And if we're not careful, we'll look around and months will go by and sometimes even years will go by and we'll never finish what we started. You can drive through certain communities and areas and you'll find houses that are halfway sided. Somebody never finished putting the siding on the house. You'll find places that somebody started painting and they didn't finish. And I know I went from preaching to meddling at this point. But I just want to prove the point, what I'm talking about. Faithfulness means you get the job done. Faithfulness means sure. It means true. It means believing. It means trustful. Let me say it this way to you. Faithfulness is a choice to live out what's been deposited on the inside of us by our faithful, loving, gracious Heavenly Father. Gifts, and we've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit, including ministry gifts. Those spiritual gifts and endowments are grace deposits and impartations. However, we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit in order for those gifts and graces to manifest and be the blessing both to others and to ourselves that God intended that they be. We have to learn to cooperate with the Holy Ghost. And this requires obedience. It requires submission. It requires yielding. And in the case of ongoing ministry and serving, it will require preparation. It will require faith, building our faith, maintaining our faith, stretching our faith, using our faith, activating our faith. And also, it will involve waiting on God. We live in a culture today where nobody wants to wait on anything. You look in a room of five people, family gathering, quote unquote, five people sitting around looking at their phone. Instant gratification, everybody in their own world. We go to McDonald's. You know I ate a McDonald's cheeseburger yesterday. Pray for me, but man, it was so good. It was so good. Just a, just a little old cheeseburger. Anyway, <laughs> we go to the McDonald's, and if we have to wait more than just a few minutes, we get upset in the drive-through window line. Waiting is not our thing, is it? Not naturally. Waiting on God can look like wasted time to people who don't know what's going on. And if you've never spent much time waiting on God, I can promise you what will happen when you try to do it is the devil will come to you and tell you about all those things you should be doing. It's amazing how the devil really is a bad dude and how that he... You know, he's, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But it's amazing how he will even tell you about good things. 
that need to be done. Like, you know, you need to get there and put the rest of that siding on the house or, what, you know, what, whatever it may be. And uh, he will try anything he can to keep you from waiting on God, waiting in the presence of God. But if we're going to walk in the Spirit, those things are involved. James 2.20 tells us that faith without works is dead. And I want to point out to you that word works. And if you, if you need to do this, then do this. But in the margin of your Bible somewhere, write these two words, corresponding actions. A lot of people look at that word works and they think, uh, well, you know, you don't work for salvation. So what does this mean? Well, obviously it's true. We don't work for our salvation. And that's not what James was referring to. He was saying that if you have faith, you will have actions to correspond to the faith. That's what the word works there means. Not working to earn, but it means doing something, acting on the word. People of great faith are people of great actions, consistent actions, faithful actions. So gifts are free, but in many cases it will cost you to be used. The positioning to receive the gift or for gifts to flow through us in the case of ministry will always cost us something where the flesh is concerned. And three areas of faithfulness that Jesus taught about here in Luke 16, verses 10, 11, and 12 really kind of puts it all together. And I trust the Holy Spirit will help us to see that today as we have only an hour and a half left to go to get through this. Jesus said the first area of faithfulness is faithfulness in that which is least. That word means very small. It means exactly what it sounds like. Little things. And you know, this corresponds to the first step in walking in the Spirit in this journey of a Spirit-filled experience. Because it was always God's intent. It still is God's intent today. That immediately upon being born again, people are filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Ghost. And every time that happened in the Bible, they spoke in tongues. And so all of that is just normal Christianity. This is, in many ways, being faithful in the least. Did you know and realize that tongues is one of the supernatural manifestations? That we are actually, it is the one supernatural manifestation that we are allowed by God to do, if you will, at will. All the other gifts, we're waiting on God and they only work as the Spirit wills. But when we speak in other tongues, we are afforded the privilege to use This supernatural language at will. That's one of the reasons that we say speaking in tongues is the doorway into the supernatural. If you are not faithful to pray in the Holy Ghost, to use that supernatural language that God gave to you when He baptized you in the Spirit, then you will always be limited in where you can go with other spiritual gifts and manifestations. 
The principle of being faithful in the least applies to many areas. It applies to all kinds of areas, even in the kingdom. It applies to doing what seems to be the least of a, of a job or responsibility within the church, the body of Christ, just serving. David understood this, the great warrior king David. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the mighty. What was he saying? He said, he's saying, I'd rather work and serve as an usher in the house of God than to go sit in a king's palace and live an ungodly lifestyle. I appreciate you who serve. I know that things get hectic and things get busy on Sunday mornings. And we're all doing our thing. And we don't always have the time to just stop and chat at that moment. And I know I don't say it enough. But I am so grateful that you choose to serve. And I can tell you this. I learned this lesson long ago, long before I ever was standing in a place like this. I learned the, the benefit and I learned the need to serve in little things. I've done that. And I still like to do it. Amen. So if we aren't willing to do the little things faithfully, we'll never get to the bigger things. And one of the most important little things, if I can use that term, and not as a derogatory term, but one of those little things is to make sure you don't allow the flow of the Holy Spirit to dry up in your life. I've never seen anybody yet commit adultery while they spoke in tongues. Never heard of anybody yet who just totally backslid, quit church, quit going, quit serving, quit tithing, quit, quit praying, quit reading their Bible while they prayed in tongues. This is one of the most powerful safeguards around your spiritual life that you can have is to constantly let the Spirit of God flow through you in supernatural language. Number two, verse 11, Jesus taught us the second area of faithfulness is faithful in the area of money. Now, I'm not going to preach all day about money. Uh, we say a lot about money around here. The Bible says a lot about it. That's why we do. There are more scriptures about money in the Bible than there are about hell. And we all know that hell is horrible, and we all know we don't want anybody to go to hell. We all know that, that one of the main things Jesus came to do was to give us eternal life so we wouldn't have to go to hell. But isn't it amazing that the Bible has more verses, numbers-wise, more verses about money than there is about hell? You see, Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 21, in the Sermon on the Mount, that our heart follows our money. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You'd be surprised how many people misquote that. And they say, where your, uh, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, your money follows your heart. He said, your heart follows your money. What, why is that important? Why would I split the hairs about that? Because I've never known of anybody yet in all these years that just backslid on God and got out of the will of God and everything else that was praying in tongues and tithing and giving generously. 
I have so much invested in the kingdom of God today that I dare not backslide. I need those harvests. And don't get mad at me when they come. Amen. You know, never judge anybody what they have, what they drive, what they wear, where they live, where they go to eat, where they go to on vacation or anything else. And if you don't know what they give, you don't have a clue about what they deserve, quote unquote. Hallelujah. So our greatest Bible heroes, for the most part, were people of wealth and means. Philippians 4.15 makes it clear that the early church was a giving and a receiving church. And I want to say one more statement that's kind of tough, but it needs to be said. And I'm not talking about you because this is not you. But it's generally true wherever it would happen. And that's this. Churches that are selfish, churches that are tight with their money, do not have great moves of the Spirit. They do not have great manifestations of supernatural gifts and ministries of the Spirit. Churches that are tight with their pastors and pastoral staffs, churches that are tight where, where uh, missions and giving are concerned, churches that are more concerned about a minimum balance on the books of their savings than they are about a minimum amount of seed they sow, those are places that will never go to the spiritual levels they could until they change their attitude about money. Now, I didn't say this. Jesus said it. If you've not been faithful in money, then who will commit to you the true riches? Jesus said that. In other words, there are some things that money can't buy. And that's what we've been teaching on for the last few weeks. You can't buy a word of wisdom. You can't buy a word of knowledge. You can't buy a miracle. You can't buy gifts of healings. They're not for sale. Those are what God calls true riches. And isn't it amazing that Jesus connects to the flow of true riches with our faithfulness with money? And I'll just add this. It's important to be faithful with Whatever God tells you to do with your money, not just your giving, not just tithing, those are important areas, but don't buy everything your little beady eyes see. <laughs> don't get in trouble with money because you're covetous. Don't live trying to keep up with other people or trying to impress other people. Do what God tells you to do with your money. From the tithe, which is the first 10%, which is his, all the way through to the rest of it. If he tells you don't spend it yet, don't buy this, don't buy that, save this, put this away, get out of debt, pay that off, then do what he says. We are into some, coming into some stormy waters economically in this country and in the world. And I don't know how many of you would remember you don't have to show me your hands because I don't want to get my feelings hurt if only one hand goes up or no hands go up. But I don't know how many of you remember, but there was a number of weeks ago when I, I knew by the Spirit of the Lord I was speaking some things about some tough times coming and how important it was to get out of debt and some of those kind of things. I don't know how many listened. I don't know how many are acting on those, uh, on those uh, exhortations, but you better heed the Holy Ghost. Tough times are here. They're not coming. They're here. The only way to stay insulated is to stay in the will of God. 
I've, one advantage of getting a little older, I said a little, a little older, one advantage is that you've lived through some things. And I have been in ministry, full-time ministry, when interest rates were 17%. I took a church in 1984 that was in those days. And you've got to realize that's, this was you know, 30-something years ago. They were over they were over a half a million dollars in debt, and their uh, their debt was uh, at seventeen percent interest. Those were the payments. And if you don't know how that works, Google it when you get home, and see how much one percent makes a difference in a, in a payment a mortgage payment. I've been there. I've been there when. When in another situation, it was, took all the faith we had to borrow $10,000 for a church project. And then, I've been where we don't owe anybody anything. Woo, glory. I like that one much better. So if you're wise, you'll follow your elders. If you're wise, you'll follow your leaders. If you're wise, you'll listen to the Holy Ghost. Make sure, whatever you do, that it's something God says do. I'm not saying God would never tell you to borrow. I'm not saying that he would never tell you to take a mortgage. I'm not saying that it's sin. I'm just saying be careful to obey God. Third area. See, it didn't take an hour and a half after all. Verse 12. Faithfulness in that which is another man's. It's interesting the things that Jesus thought were important, isn't it? I mean, nowhere did he say, don't get drunk, which, you know, that's, that's important. <laughs> don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. He, he didn't say, cut back on your cigarettes. No, that's not, that's not what he said. He said, you need to be faithful in little things. You need to be faithful with money. And third, you need to be faithful in that which is another man's. And in some ways, at some times in life, this is the hardest one. Especially when we realize, if we're honest, that the New Testament church was not and is not and never will be a democracy. One of the reasons American churches have had such notorious church blow-ups and splits and all of this is because the American church, for the most part, took their cues from American government on how to run church government. And, you know, the smart aleck question that I have to ask is, how's that working out? Well, it's not working in Washington. It's not working in the first church of the Frigidaire either. Only in America, it seems, that people come into the church. They get born again last week, and a month from now is a big church election that they get to vote in. I mean, you know, I hear a baby here. Thank God for babies. I'm not fussing about the baby. I'm just pointing. That's really good. I'm glad it made noise because I want to use, use the child for an illustration. That's Bristol. Man, she's growing. Praise the Lord. Would we ask her to vote November in the election? We wouldn't, would we? 
So we don't do that in church. You might say, well, I don't understand, you know, I don't understand leadership. You know, what, what if the leadership messes up? Let me say something to you about leadership. Those who teach, those who minister, are going to be judged with a greater judgment. That's what James said. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what is done here on my watch, what I have done. And uh, you ought to be glad you don't have to. I mean, I'm just being real honest about some stuff. We want to talk about walking in the Spirit. See, a lot of people have a problem with that. They have a problem with authority. They have a problem with leadership structure. But God set it in place. And uh, it's no coincidence that part of the Holy Spirit's uh, assortment of gifts that are, in, that are given to the church include and involve offices of authority and ministry. I'm going to make a statement today that the carnally-minded person will have a real problem with, but I'm going to say it anyway, and hopefully uh, you can digest it and see what the Holy Ghost says to you about it, but I know this is true. Submission to godly authority. I'm not talking about every authority and everybody out there that says I'm called or whatever. You know that I know that they're all not called. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that we are to follow the faith of those that are over us in the Lord and have spoken the word of God to us. So I don't, I don't take everybody as spiritual authority. If they, don't, if they don't give the word of God to me and if I cannot follow their faith, then they're not in authority over me. I don't care what their title is, what kind of collar they wear, or what kind of name they have over their office door or anything else. But here's the statement you need to know. Submission to godly authority is submission to God. Amen. Being anointed and being gifted does not exempt us from the order of authority that God has set in the church. Amen. Ministry gifts provide leadership for the orderly use of the ministry tools or gifts that God has given to the church. Learning to function under authority is one of the keys to being in authority. Matthew 8 and 9, the centurion told Jesus, you don't need to come to my house, speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. Why did he say that? Well, he explained why he said that. He's a Roman, uh, I mean, he's a centurion. No, he was a Roman, Roman uh, officer, a centurion. That's what a centurion is. I don't know why I'm pointing at Matt. He wasn't confused. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> He's the only person that ever said anything like that to Jesus we have recorded. And Jesus marveled. And he, I mean, you know, Jesus never wastes any words. He went on to say, I've never found faith like this in Israel. This is a Roman military guy who told him, he said, you don't need to come to my house. Speak the word only because he said... And here, I'm paraphrasing. Go ahead and read it. You'll see I'm telling you the truth. He's basically saying to Jesus, I understand authority. I am under authority. He wasn't a, a general. He was a centurion. He wasn't Caesar. He was a centurion. He said, I'm under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he cometh. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He was saying to Jesus, you're in authority. Speak the word. It'll be done. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. And so this kind of 
understanding of authority and submission positions us for God to bring us to a place of authority, for God to promote us. And so I would say to you today, and if you can't feel like you can in good conscience do that here, then find somewhere you can. I mean, we, you know, I'm, I'm just telling you this for your own good. And if you think there's anything amiss here or some kind of ulterior motive on my part, then go find somewhere else that you can do this. But make somebody else's vision come to pass. That's the key to getting your vision come to pass. And I will say this, what we think is unrelated many times is very related. Your vision is to retire at 50. Let's just use that for an example. You don't maybe see at 30 what helping a vision of a local church congregation has to do with your vision of retiring at 50. But God says it this way to us, and very often we use this phrase here because it's just a truth. When you get involved with God's business, God gets involved with yours. And there are people in this congregation that I could ask now, and if they were prepared and ready, we could come up here, and person after person after person could come up here and take the microphone and testify how this is working in their life. It's an amazing thing. Faithfulness in three areas. Faithfulness in the little things. Maybe he just wants you to get up at a certain time in the morning. Maybe he just wants you to do the job in a certain way with excellence that maybe nobody else does, but he wants you to do. Faithfulness in little things. Faithfulness in money. Make sure your heart is going the right direction. And the key to that is to make sure your money is going in the right direction. And number three faithfulness in that which is another man's. We all come into the body of Christ as babies. Like, you know, the, the old story, many of you probably heard this about some American tourist that was, went on a trip to Europe, you know, and, and while they were there, they went through some alpine village somewhere, some picturesque, beautiful European village, and there was an old man sitting out there, uh, you know, on a bench near the street. And so they asked the old man, were any great men born in this town? And he said, no, they were all babies. <laughs> they were all born babies. So we're all brought into this as babes. Regardless of how old we are naturally, regardless of how wealthy we are or how poor we are, how well educated we are, or even ignorant that we may be in many areas. We all come into this at the same place as a babe in Christ, and we, we grow and we develop as we obey God. These three keys will help change your future to the one that God wants you to have. Amen? Father, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for your word today. I thank you, Lord, for Pentecost. We are not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel includes the fullness of the Holy Ghost. The gospel, the good news, salvation includes healing and deliverance. All these things are ours and are available through the precious blood of Jesus. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would cause these truths, 
we have presented over these many weeks and months that from time to time as is needed they will be brought back to our remembrance by the Holy Spirit and that we'll not be forgetful hearers but doers of the word in Jesus name we pray with heads bowed and eyes closed for just another moment you might be here today and you say pastor I don't know Jesus or you might say pastor I'm backslidden I'm not where I need to be with God I have allowed and I have willfully followed some ways of sin, uncleanness, ungodliness, and I'm not interested in the details. Please understand that. But maybe that is the case, and, and you need to be cleansed. You need to be restored to fellowship with the Lord. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment, and I just want you to pray it with me. I'm not going to ask you to repeat word by word. I'm just going to pray, and I want you to hear. And It's not going to be complicated, so you can do it on your own. And if you do today receive Jesus, please let somebody up here know before you leave here. We've got material we'd like to give to you. We'd like to help you in a new start for Jesus. If you are coming back to God, then make sure that it's clear to those who know you that I'm committed to God. God doesn't have any secret agents. He doesn't need espionage. He needs bold witnesses. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that if there is a man or a woman or boy or girl under the sound of my voice, whether live in this meeting today or by recording later on or at home right now watching online, I pray that if they're lost and undone and in their sins, that they would ask you to come into their life right now. Believing that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again, we take him now and receive him now as our Lord and our Savior. We repent, we turn from our sin, the life of sin, the acts of sin, and we say in Jesus' name, we are committed now to living for you, our Lord Jesus, from now on. And Lord, forgive and cleanse us afresh and anew by the blood of Jesus. Whatever sin that has interfered with our fellowship, whatever ungodliness, uncleanness, bad decision, bad attitude, or anything else, that has taken us away from the things of God. We repent of it now in Jesus' name. Cleanse us afresh. Cleanse us anew by the blood. We choose to serve you all the days of our life.